If you have a Bible, could you turn to John, John chapter 15. John chapter 15, we're going to be looking at one verse in particular that is, has to do with this whole theme of prayer we're looking at in regard to how we should pray. John 15, verse 7. Before we do look at this, let's pray and ask that God would richly bless us. Heavenly Father, we seek you as the one who is able to give to us nourishment and strength, the one who is able to give to us salvation and hope, the one who is able to give to us wisdom and discretion. Father, we come to you, the giver of every good gift, and we look to you to give us every little thing we need. We know that apart from you and your spirit working in us, we can do nothing. And even this morning, we can't understand apart from grace. We won't obey apart from grace. And we will not grow apart from grace. So, Father, pour it out on us this morning as the one who's, who delights to exalt his Son. Do this, Father, for the sake of your name, the extension of your kingdom, and for the good of your people. Amen. How many of you, let me raise your hands now, how many of you are watching the Olympics? Most people. How many of you are, have watched no Olympics whatsoever? A few people. <laughs> most people watched, have watched the Olympics. I mean, most of us probably because of the time frame, I, at least this is me, we're getting, um, looking forward to them being done because it's wrecking my sleep pattern. <laughs> but you know what's amazing is how crazy the world is over these extreme athletes doing the, you know, representing your country, and doing these wonderful feats. And uh, especially, you know, the world seems to be going crazy over Usain Bolt. And what's just so astounding about this is here's a guy, and all of his medal performances, all of them, um, he's performed less than 60 seconds. So when I say medal performances, sure, there's heats and everything, but, you know, he runs the 100, just over 9 seconds, runs the 200, it was around 20 seconds or so. Then he runs the, the 4 by 100 Well, he did that in under 10 seconds. That's his medal performances, less than a minute. And it's just he's shocking the world, right? Changing the world because he so, has a flair for the dramatic, and he's incredibly fast, incredibly powerful. And, you know, we, we tend to love to watch people who are very good at what they do. We love to see excellence. We love to see power. We love to see greatness. But while the, the world is gloating in their strength, our God calls us to gloat in our weakness. So like our God, isn't it? Whatever, whatever the world loves, he seems to love to turn it upside down and then use that to glorify his name. 
Because we think in our flesh that it's strength, it's power, it's glory in ourselves that produces greatness. But when we take, so when we take God out of the equation, that's true. But when we put God in the equation, it's false. Because if God is going to be glorified, if God is going to be exalted, if he's going to be raised up, then the power, the glory, and the goodness has to be in him, not in ourselves. We had 2 Corinthians read for us this morning. And this is why Paul was gloating. He's saying, I now, I, now that I understand how this all works, that when God's grace is sufficient for me, as, as he said, his power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, wow, I get the way God works. Then what does he say? He goes on to say, therefore I glory in weakness. Why? Not that he's just a weak, lousy, miserable man, and this is just such a wonderful deal. It's because God in his weakness shows up in strength. And so that when Paul is strong, now his gloat, now his glory is certainly not in himself, but in God. This morning we're going to see a text before, his, before us that talks about our abiding in Christ, where our strength is found and where we are guaranteed to have answered prayer. If you look at uh, John 15, verse 7, it says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Pretty simple, right? If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, here's the condition. Ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. Impressive. So obviously, it's important, if this is the condition upon us having these answered prayers, and if we're to pray in an appropriate way to get answered prayers, we have to know what does it mean to abide in Christ? What does that mean? And here... Just in summary form, and then we're going to get into explaining how this is. Abiding in Jesus means constantly believing that he is the one who has all you need. And I think in your sermon, in the notes there, I underline constantly because it it is constantly. You see, abiding in Jesus isn't something that we do just at the beginning. So when one is abiding, they're remaining, they're staying, they're not leaving. This is where they're parked. And a lot of times we might talk about, we talk about salvation. If you want to be saved, what do you have to do? Who do you have to look to? You have to look to Jesus, right? But that's just not a past event. Like somehow, yeah, now I'm saved because I look to Jesus, No, what we have to do is we have to abide in Jesus, which means continually and always looking to Jesus for all things. Because Jesus, the good news, the gospel, isn't just that Jesus saves us and forgives us from our sin, but in fact, in Jesus, we find all that we need for all of life. He empowers us. He strengthens us. He actually, he's the source of all that we need for doing any good work. The text itself reveals this to us. If you look here at at verse 4, jump up now to chapter 15, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. 
So there's a mutual abiding here. So when we're abiding in Christ, he's abiding in us. As the branch cannot bear fruit, now he's going back to this analogy that he started with at the beginning of this chapter. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Do you get that? you see that? When translated means you can't bear any fruit, any good fruit, no fruit of righteousness will come out of your life unless you abide in me. Now here, he's just not talking here about salvation, is he? He says, unless you abide in me and I in you, he says, just like the vine and the branch, he says that branch will not produce any fruit unless it's connected and stuck to the vine. What happens when you cut a branch off a vine? Remove it. It dies. It gets all, its, all of its source from the vine itself. So as long as that branch abides in the vine and all is healthy, what comes out? Fruit. He goes on to say this. He says, in the last part of it, he says, he, uh, he, he it is, the one who abides, bears much fruit. And this is what I love, the last part of verse 5. Listen to this. For a part... From me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. But if we remain in him, if we abide in him, we can do all things. Who is it that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Paul says this because he understands his abiding. He knows that he's in Christ. He just doesn't look to Jesus for salvation. He looks to Jesus for sanctification. He looks to him for everything. So here's, we have to understand this in the midst of, of life. Understand this practically. Think of it this way. Where in your life do you struggle What have you been trying to do on your own with no success? Surely there's got to be areas in your life, right? And in in any area, that particular area where you struggle or you have weakness, you're failing to produce fruit there, right? And what normally happens? We normally make resolutions. We normally get frustrated with ourselves. We normally say, you know, I've got to change. I've got to do something different. Or perhaps we've tried that for so long we become apathetic and say, I am who I am. This is me. Never going to change. What you see is what you get. Because, you know, I tried the whole try thing. I tried for many years with no success. You see, most of us are called in life to do things. God calls us to do things that are beyond us. So we, we are asked to do things that we desire to do. God has changed your heart. And if he's worked in your heart, you know what you want to do. You read the word and you want to do it. So the desire to do it, I find. But the strength to do it, I don't find. Isn't that a curious thing? Because you know what Jesus is teaching us? He's teaching us what it means to abide in him. Abiding in him is not just holding fast to him, thinking he will save us at the end. Abiding is holding fast, looking to, trusting to, and believing that Jesus will provide all that I need now. For example, 
How many of you husbands know that you must love your wives as Christ loved the church? Most of us know that. Most of us have heard that. Most of us want to do that, truly. Yet how many of us find that impossible? I hope all of us find that impossible. That when we go and say, you know what, it says I need to do it, now I'm going to start doing it. Here's one thing that we've failed to realize. As soon as we say he does it, now I'm going to start and go do that, what we're not doing is we're, we're, we're walking away from the vine. We're not abiding in Jesus. You see, one of the things about abiding is looking to him for everything, for all that we need. If a husband is going to love his wife like Christ loved the church, he has to confess to God, and this is how it works, this is how one abides in him, is they're constantly looking to him, constantly trusting in him, constantly seeking him to give what is needed. And you say, Lord Jesus, I cannot love my wife this way, but you can. And you've promised, you've promised to fill me with your spirit, you've promised to strengthen me, and you, with, with you this is possible, with me this is impossible, please grant me the grace. And it's not a one-time prayer, you go off and walk in through the tulips and you think everything is fine. This is something you must do continually. Abiding is that, that verb itself is a continual, continuous action till the day you die. We must always be abiding in Jesus. So if we're abiding... We're looking to him to save us, to strengthen us, to give us everything we need. What do you need? You need to obey. Do you have the strength? No. Does he? Yes. And what does he say? If you abide in me, you might bear fruit. We'll see how it works out. No, he says, if you abide in me, you will produce fruit. And he also says, and you know what? Apart from me, you can do nothing. So abiding is very important. He says, if we're going to ask whatever we want and receive it, we must be abiding in Jesus. This is is pivotal. So we could go through all of life, right? Where do you struggle? Wives. How easy is it to submit to your husbands? In your flesh, you can't do it. Parents, how easy is it to be patient and kind and gentle with your children? In your flesh, impossible. In your flesh, you know what's easy? Ranting, railing, becoming crazy, impatient, wanting to pull your hair out and kill somebody. That's, that's easy to do in the flesh. So unless there's an abiding in Christ, there will not be any obeying Christ. And that's, that's what he's saying here. You have to understand the essential nature of remaining in Christ. Not just for salvation, but for everything you need in life. I thought of an analogy that I think in this current age and what's going on with superheroes maybe be appropriate appropriate with the avengers just out and all these the hoopla about these these old comic characters i thought of an old superhero that's hasn't well yeah it has been resurrected not too long ago but superman and what i like about superman because you know who was superman outside of his suit 
Clark Kent, the nerd. <laughs> Powerless and helpless. Yet who was Clark Kent in his suit? You put him in a phone booth, and when he comes out, and he's got this rubber suit on and his little cape, he is now Superman. And as long as Clark Kent abides in the suit, he's Superman. Outside of that suit, he's super lame. (laughs) And that's what I love about that story. It actually is a great picture, as I was thinking about this week, of what it's like to abide in Christ. That's us. And we abide in Christ, impossible things happen. We do things that humans can't do. The fruit of the Spirit comes out. Outside of Christ, I think we all have to admit that when we do things on our own and we try these things in our own strength, we are super lame. Super lame. And so here's the thing. Abiding in Christ will not... um, If we do not abide in Christ, we will not pray and get whatever we wish. That's the first condition. He says, if you abide in Christ. What does he say secondly? Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Here's the second condition. And the question is, what does this mean? Well, let me begin by explaining what this doesn't mean. God's word abiding in you isn't the same as the information of the scriptures stuck in your head. You might be able to name all the minor prophets, what their central message was, when they brought their message, and to what part of the kingdom they brought it. You might be able to outline the books, and you might be able to do every chiastic structure imaginable in the books, and you may not have God's word, not Possibly, you might not have God's word abiding in you. It's important that we see the difference. It doesn't necessarily mean that Christ's word is abiding in us just because we have a bunch of information in our heads. Jesus' word abides in us when we store it in our hearts and live according to it. And that's important. Stored in our hearts, and we live according to it. It guides, it directs, it informs our everyday life and walk. Jesus himself said in John 14, 23, If a man loves me, hear this, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And so here's an important distinction that Jesus often makes between knowledge and obedience. He said to many of the Pharisees, and you got to understand, many of the Pharisees knew this right here better than you or I. They They knew the scriptures. They knew what it said. but they did not trust it, believe it, or obey obey it. Jesus says this in John 8, 37, 38. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. 
but you seek to kill me. And why? He says this, because my word has no place in you. What are you talking about? They knew the scriptures, right? They studied them daily. They debated them. They discussed them. But Jesus says, my word has no place in you. So what does he mean? Well, the word has not come in and formed their lives and then all of a sudden dictated how it is that they were to live. They were, not, they were getting the word to prove themselves more intelligent than the others in the scriptures. You see, the scriptures can be used and abused to puff us up. Just as, just as easily as they can be used and taken and, and, built, and nourished in our hearts to build us up, they can be used to puff us up. So here's the thing. Knowing the scriptures is important. We have to know it. We can't love it. We can't obey it. We can't trust it. We can't look to it unless we know it. So knowing it is central. We have to know it. If we don't know what it says, we can't believe it. If we don't know that, G- that God has declared in his word that if you're in Christ, you're forgiven, well, we can't believe that and we can't be forgiven. We have to know that. But knowing things and believing things are two different things. Because you could know the Apostles' Creed. And, 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 here, and here's the thing. Even, here's where it even gets more interesting. Because you could believe that it's true on paper, but you don't believe it for you. Now, here's the difference. Do you think that the demons believe the Apostles' Creed? Absolutely. Do you, they know that believe in God the Father Almighty. They believe that uh, Jesus was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. They know that. In fact, if you look at the Gospels, the demons, they all know who he is. He's the son of God. More than that, we know from Job, Zechariah, and Revelation that Satan has spent countless errors, uh, eras, countless time in the actual presence of God. He sees him. He knows what he's like. He knows who he is. He's way more advanced than you or I are in knowledge of who God is. What's the difference? See, there's a knowledge, but the, and there's even a belief, but there's no trusting in God. There's no looking to God. There's no obeying God. God is not who they go to, who they trust in, who, who they look to, and who they long for. There's none of that. So the difference is not just knowing but truly believing for yourself. Now, here, here's a difference with someone could say, I know that Jesus died and rose again. I know that he did this to forgive sins. Well, then ask the question, do you believe your sins are forgiven? And right there is the difference maker. Do you trust him to forgive your sins? Do you actually believe that? That is the believing. That's Jesus' word abiding in us. That's what he's referring to. He's referring to here somebody who actually has that word abiding in him in that way. Believing it, trusting in it, looking to it, obeying it, making sure that it's the thing that directs our life. So we got to ask the question, does God's word direct your life? 
Does the wisdom of the scriptures direct you or does the wisdom of man direct you? That's important for us to ask because here's a qualification. If we abide in Jesus and his word abides in us, this is the precondition. So how are we to pray? Well, if you want your prayer answered, you've got to pray in Christ with his word dwelling in you. And then this guides and directs even the prayers that come out of your mouth. And this is, I think, how this works. When we get to the place where we abide in Christ, his word abides in us, and we ask whatever we wish, it'll be done. And it's a guarantee. When we are abiding in Jesus, looking to him for every grace we need, and his word is abiding in us, and we're looking to it to guide every decision we make, we are going to pray in a particular kind of way that guarantees an answer. Because we're going to pray according to God's promise and according to God's will. I love how Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, it's a, it's a little more of a technical commentary, stated it. They said, if we but abide in Christ and Christ's word abide in us, every thought is so brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ that no desire will rise and no petition be offered, but such as are in harmony with the divine will. The soul yielding itself implicitly and wholly to Christ and Christ's word penetrating and molding it sweetly into conformity with the will of God cannot but meet with a divine response. In other words, this precondition, this this precondition affects the way we pray. So let me ask you, if you're abiding in Christ and his word is abiding in you, when you go to pray, what kind of prayer are you going to pray? You're going to pray the kind of prayer that God delights to answer. For example, what you're going to realize that everything I need, and let me, let me repeat that need. You notice I said need, not want, but need is found in Christ. If I believe that and I'm abiding in Christ that way, and his word directs me, and in his word it tells me that God supply, will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. So, abiding in him, I find that he is everything that I, I have to look to him for everything I need. The promise is that my, according to his riches and glory, he will supply all my needs in Christ Jesus. How do you think I'm going to pray? Now what I do is I pray that God would supply what I need in a particular moment. And I understand that what I need often is not to be removed from my circumstances, but what I need is grace to live in the midst of my circumstances. So, for example, we often find ourselves lacking grace in a particular situation. Lacking the wisdom, lacking the strength, lacking the love, lacking the patience, lacking you fill in the blank, right? And what do we often pray for? We pray because we think, because I lack this, you know, if this circumstance, if this person, if this scenario, if this situation would change, I wouldn't need this and uh, I would be doing well. Because you just take annoying people out of life and you don't need patience, you don't need... uh, you know, you don't, you don't need much of anything. You know, it's easy to love all those people. You know, I can love people who love me all day long. 
And so, I, oh, that's nice. Now I don't need to abide in Christ. I can walk in my own strength. And you know, this is nice and easy. I like this life. I like the life where everything works out for me. That's the life I like to live. And in my flesh I do, and it causes me no stress. It causes me no strain. It doesn't expose me. It doesn't even show me my own weaknesses. But you know the beauty of being exposed to your own weakness? Is that you are able to see loud and clear the need that you have in Christ. What I need is I need the grace to be able to love, to be patient, to be kind, to be gentle, to be disciplined, to be self-sacrificial. I need that, and so I turn to God, and I look to him to supply it. And so this is a little bit circular. I don't know if you're kind of noticing this or not. When you're abiding, and then when God's word is abiding you, and it you know what you end up praying? You come back around and you pray in this way. You look to Jesus and to his word to give you what you need. So if I'm not abiding in Christ, or if I'm not, his word is not abiding in me, my prayers are often very selfish and I find out what's wrong. What's wrong? Well, look to Christ. Look to his word. Have that inform your prayers. It'll come up, back around. And I'm praying that the Jesus that I'm abiding in I'm looking to him and asking him to supply all my needs. It's very circular. And here's the thing. When we do this, Jesus answers. And I can testify to you that, you know, as I've been doing this series, I have more and more and looking to God in prayer more and more to give me what I need. And it's been amazing, the difference. I find areas of weakness are being exposed, and instead of saying, you know, often I need to change that. I need to work on that. I really need to start a a discipline program that starts to address that. I'm saying, you know, no, I need your grace. I need the Lord Jesus. And I turn to him, and I'm praying in the morning differently. I'm praying throughout the day differently. Oh, Father, grant me the patience I need to deal with this situation. Because I don't have it. And when I confess my weakness to him and trust in him to provide the strength that I need, I find that situations of temptation are even different. You know, since I went through even the Lord's Prayer, we all went through that, I'm praying about God protecting and defending me differently. Lead me not into temptation and deliver me from the evil one. Well, that's kind of been informing my prayers a lot. And I'm finding that as I wake up in the morning and realize that I can't stand apart from his grace. I can't resist apart from his grace. My flesh is uber weak. I need him. And when I understand that, and I look to him and I'm praying to him, it has been amazing. It's an experiential difference in my life. You know... I'm more and more convinced of this, and I'll stand up here right now. What you all need is you all don't need a discipline program. You need to look to Jesus. You need to look to him, trust him. He has every resource you need, everything. Are you having troubles with patience? Are you having troubles with love? Are you having troubles being kind? Are you having troubles with anything godly 
if you're having troubles, I have good news for you this morning. Here's gospel. Great news. Jesus has everything you need. Look to him in the morning. Look to him in the afternoon. Look to him in the evening. Look to him. Cry out to him. Trust in him and watch him work in your life. You start praying for these needs, true biblical needs, which is the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and you are going to be growing in sanctification. Because as you grow in your journey, more and more weaknesses will be exposed, but you will start to glory in your weakness because you begin to realize that His grace is sufficient. His his strength is made perfect in my weakness. Wow, I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to understand it. I'm starting to realize that I must in the morning seek his grace. Look to Jesus for all that I need, and he supplies it. And this is why you can jump up and down on this particular verse, and you want to know how to pray. If you abide in Christ, his word abides in you. Pray whatever you ask, and it will be done for you. Because he'll take care of all your needs, every one of them. Now, here's something I want to say in closing. Sometimes we can even be praying and we cannot be receiving because there's undealt with sin. Sin will create a block. Do you know when we first come to Jesus, what's required of us? We must repent and believe. Do you know as we live in Jesus and continue the Christian life, what we continue to do? Repent and believe. Sin creates a barrier, and you can find that your, your prayers go nowhere. It's like I pray for strength and I don't receive it. Why? Well, you need to deal with some issues. And I'm saying this, there are times in our lives when we're not actively in sin now, but there were sins in the past either we committed or committed to us that we have covered over and we have not dealt with. I'm finding more and more of this being a bigger and bigger issue in Christians' lives. A total lack of power, a total lack of sanctification, a to- almost a going backwards. And I do pray for God to help me. Okay, let's go and find out. Has is, is someone ever sinned against you in the past grievously? Yes. Probably someone very close to you. Mother, father, aunt, uncle, good friend. Has that ever been dealt with? Have you taken care of that? Have you gone and are, is there forgiveness issues that need to take place? Maybe you're bitter. Maybe you're resentful. Maybe there's hate in your heart. Maybe there's some restitution that needs to take place. You know, one of the things, the first things that you have to do if we're going to experience and know the power of God working in our lives is we need, we can't just say, I'm going to start today and move forward and forget the past. That's not repenting. You must turn to your past and deal with all the issues in your life. Deal with the sin. Get it dealt with, and then you can move forward, and you're going to find the power and the grace of God you need day to day. Sin is the one big blocker that will stop this. And so one of maybe the first thing you need to do is this. Say, search me, O God. Show me if there be anything in my life, anything, Anything in my past that needs to be dealt with, please reveal it to me. You know, that prayer, Jesus is delighted to answer. Anything I need to deal with. And you go and deal with that, and then you come and you ask for grace, and as you move forward, 
you're going to see the power of God in your life. You fail to deal with the past, and you think you're going to walk into the present in the power and the grace of God. He's not. He's going to frustrate you. He's saying, you've got issues that you need to deal with. Deal with them, and then let's get walking forward and make some wonderful progress. So when we understand this and we do this, we are going to see God's grace in our lives in manifest ways that blow your mind. Because what's impossible with you is possible with God. What you can't do, he can. So look to him. Abide in him. Have his word abide in you. And watch God work. Amen. Father, we are so grateful that you have revealed to us in Christ where the power lies. You've revealed to us how much it is you delight to answer us if we pray according to your word and and as we're abiding in your son. Grant us grace to understand and may we look to you for everything, for we ask it in Christ. Amen.